Russia's continued military actions in Chechnya, coupled with human rights abuses by its troops, are encouraging terrorism, the United States said Thursday, urging Moscow to follow through on a pledge to seek dialogue with separatists in the republic. The French news agency AFP publishes an update on the situation in Chechnya in January 2002. For the past month, the Russian Federation's forces have been intensifying their bombings and combing operations in what they are calling their final offensive. The article continues. The US comments come as Russia has moved to take advantage of its alliance with the United States in the war on terrorism, branding the Chechen rebels terrorists. And they came a day after Russian federal forces wound up a sweep through Chechen towns, killing 92 rebels amid mounting evidence of human rights abuses by Russian troops during a 10-day military operation. Human rights groups have detailed a wide array of abuses, reports that Washington has deemed credible, including arbitrary killings, beatings and hostage-taking. This is the Chechnya the Russians are trying to repatriate thousands of refugees to from neighbouring Ingushetia. Through the deliberate mismanagement of refugee camps in Ingushetia, the Russians are forcing Chechens back over the border to their homeland. MSF's latest report highlights the terrible living conditions in the Ingush camps. And once again, MSF wants to know they have the support of their Caucasus staff. On the speaking outside, for decisions like the one to go into Chechnya, we said to ourselves, we can't make compromises here. We're in a crisis situation. We have to go in. And if MSF goes into Chechnya, we can't decide to do it without speaking out. But we should share this conclusion with the Caucasus staff. They're running huge risks. We can't expose them without warning them first. This all follows the shock resignation of the president of Ingushetia, Ruslan Aushev, at the end of the previous year. His departure is a blow for the North Caucasus people, where he's the only leader in the region to condemn Russia's actions in Chechnya, and for MSF, who've had a good relationship with him. Most worryingly, it leaves the English administration free to take a more radical position on the war. When Russian President Vladimir Putin visits Paris again in mid-January 2002, MSF France calls for the discussions to focus on the fate of the displaced Chechens. On the 22nd of January, representatives of MSF are heard by the Refugee and Migration Committee of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. The Assembly is meant to vote on the human rights and humanitarian situation in Chechnya, but is becoming more and more tolerant of Russia's actions and now joins Russia's call for the refugees to return to Chechnya. This prompts MSF France President Dr Jean-Hervé Bradol to denounce the Council's passivity in the face of what he describes as, quote, a new episode of attempts to wipe out a people. His words have been voiced up. I was still affected by the genocide of the Rwandan Tutsis in 1994 and its aftermath, where I worked a lot. And frankly, I thought that the campaign of repression in Chechnya was becoming genocidal in its historical continuity. After the event, you can call it collateral damage. But if every decade, 10, 20 or 30 percent of a population is wiped out, and that carries on, that's the question that had to be asked. Isn't the aim to physically destroy the Chechen population? My speech to the Council of Europe was tough. It posed the question of genocide. I also quoted the dates of repression of the Chechen population since the end of the 19th century. I said that the series of events led to this question. I probably used the term destruction of a population instead. I thought that the Russian representative in the room was going to have a heart attack. 
What tops it all is that we're giving interviews to Radio Moscow on these positions, on his telephone, in his office at the Council of Europe. Half of his staff agreed with us. Despite MSF's address, the Council doesn't propose any sanctions against Russia. As negative as these developments sound, the international events and declarations are still bringing the North Caucasus back into the media spotlight. MSF takes this opportunity to create momentum behind their speaking out on the fate of Chechen refugees in a climate of escalating violence in Chechnya. But, as operations are once more forced out of the region through political pressure from the Russian authorities and the threat of kidnap, MSF again asks itself what it can do to bring healthcare and aid to those suffering in Chechnya and the refugee camps in the surrounding countries. And does speaking out about the terrible living conditions and human rights abuses put staff and civilians at risk? Or is that risk inherent in working in a war zone such as this? I'm Nick Owen. This is Speaking Out, War Crimes and the Politics of Terror in Chechnya. 1994 to 2004, a podcast by MSF. Episode 8, A Deliberate Strategy of Non-Assistance. Today, we say enough. Even war has rules. Stop the bombing of defenseless civilians in Chechnya. Be a scientific uh, research for that. We know that those people are dying. At the end of January 2002, the French section of MSF holds a press conference in Paris to launch their report on the English camps. A member of the Duma, or Russian Parliament, Sergei Kovalov, speaks at the event. He's a former dissident from Soviet times and honorary president of the Russian human rights organisation Memorial. Deputy Director of Communications at MSF France, Anne Fouchard. We held the press conference in January 2002 with much fanfare. We exhibited photos in the room. We invited Sergei Kovalov, a 73-year-old gentleman who was used to seeing Putin's forces turning up at his home in the middle of the night. He offered a particularly lucid picture of the situation and played his role perfectly. We didn't make the front pages, but everything went very well. We got lots of media feedback because Kovalev knows how to turn a phrase. He, in particular, gave a very tough interview to Le Monde newspaper. We knew that diplomatic pressure was needed, so we focused on articles in Le Monde. We wouldn't have said no to a spot on the 8 o'clock TV evening news, but we were concentrating more on this type of article. Kovailov is quoted in an AFP article criticizing the West for what he calls their short-term cowardly attitude. He says, quote, On the 11th of September, bin Laden offered a personal gift to the Russian president Vladimir Putin. However, the Western politicians knew very well that the war in Chechnya was totally unrelated to the war against terror. The only thing is that for political reasons, they are willing to follow Putin's policies. MSF USA soon publishes their summary version of the report, which they name Chechnya Ingushetia, a deliberate strategy of non-assistance to people in crisis. It lays out the findings and a series of recommendations. A member of staff at MSF USA's program department remembers how the sections coordinated the report's release. 
their words have been voiced up. The diplomatic approaches were discussed by the sections. But in New York, we were also taking initiatives whenever we saw an opportunity. We felt that we should continue the pressure on Chechnya and maintain the contacts we had made during the Kenny affair. We have annual intervention plans, which enabled us to leave certain things on the back burner. But as soon as there was a report like that one, we had to turn the heat up. New York became the place where the information and messages were centralised. We stopped some campaigns which were felt to be inappropriate, but generally we acted as an intermediary. The sections also wanted to talk to the American office. The programmes department got really involved in the advocacy policies of the sections who wanted to talk to the United States. But in doing this, we spoke with everyone. We had a very different view of things, but that enabled us to compare the styles of the sections and we were able to make comments and suggestions. So, when we saw the report on the camps in Ingushetia, which described the volatile situation and the desire to normalise the situation by force, we wanted to send it up to the American administration, explaining that this was not normal. We went around and presented what we had found in the report. The UNHCR, however, feels that MSF's report accuses them of complicity with the Russian authorities by maintaining poor conditions in Ingushetia to encourage the refugees to return home. Ingushetia is becoming increasingly inhospitable for humanitarian workers as well. The security situation in the capital, Nazran, where MSF has operations, is now said to be as dangerous as Chechnya. Pressure is mounting from European civil society to do something for an estimated 200,000 displaced Chechens now facing their third winter in Ingushetia, plus a further 10,000 people in Dagestan, let alone those still inside Chechnya. In April, MSF attends the 58th session of the UN Human Rights Commission. During their briefing, they point out that the last time MSF took part in this session was when they spoke out about the genocide of Rwandan Tutsi in 1994. They add that the grave and specific nature of the situation in Chechnya now makes today's appearance equally as justified. MSF tells the Commission that an estimated 100,000 Chechens died in the first war in the mid-90s, and two and a half years into this war, the same number have already died, making the death toll 10% of the population each time. A transcript of the briefing reads, If we came here as a humanitarian medical NGO, it's because we refuse to silently care for patients who are the victims of aggression and who are once again faced with violence, torture or execution as soon as they leave hospital, and sometimes even while they are in hospital. The act of care and treatment cannot be taken out of its past and future context, failing which it becomes pointless. We are thus faced with a situation that recalls that of doctors tasked with restoring torture victims to health so that their torturers can get back to work on them. MSF reminds the Commission of the long history of this Russian aggression towards the Chechens and reiterates the belief that this is a policy of destruction of an entire people. But still, neither the UN Human Rights Commission nor the EU Parliament will condemn the abuses by Russian forces in Chechnya. 
Back in the North Caucasus, the Prime Minister of the pro-Russian Chechen government announces that all refugee camps in Chechnya will be dismantled by the middle of April. The Ingush, Chechen and Russian federal authorities again step up pressure on refugees to return. They also lean on the humanitarian organisations that are refusing to redirect their aid to Chechnya. For instance, the administrative inspections on MSF vehicles taking medical equipment and drugs into Chechnya are now being targeted for more rigorous inspections by the authorities. MSF responds by starting up a diplomatic and public alert campaign on the dangers of the forced return. The recollections of a Caucasus MSF staff member have been voiced up. After this case with Kenny, there were times when the places we were working as an organisation were checked. Seemingly by accident, certain authorities would come to the hospital where we were giving out medicines and check our documents. Our team was detained by Federal Security Bureau members. Not harassment, I would say, more there were attempts to find a reason to make serious problems for us, like legal problems. At the same time, we had officially registered the organisation and we were a law-abiding organisation trying to fulfil all the demands and pay the taxes. In May 2002, the Chechen government's Commission for Displaced People puts in a request to MSF's Dutch section to supply 200 tents to refugees who've returned to Chechnya, rather than to those who've stayed in Ingushetia. They do this by invoking an agreement that was signed last year that means representatives of the humanitarian community operating in the region must respond to government requests. At the end of the month, a 20-step repatriation agreement is signed by the new English president and the pro-Russian Chechen government. It formalises the dismantling of the Chechen refugee camps and the refugees' forced return to their devastated country. MSF France and MSF USA put out a press release reiterating the dangers of forced repatriation and the importance of refugees returning on their own free will. It gets picked up by many international news outlets and prompts a couple of scathing editorials in the US newspaper The Washington Post about the incoming English president who's a former general in the Russian security services, the FSB. Last week, he signed an agreement with the head of Moscow's puppet Chechen administration that calls for the return of the refugees and the elimination of their camps by the end of September. Human rights groups believe that those who do not volunteer for resettlement will be targeted by the Russian troops. There have already been reports of night raids in the camps, staged by men in masks and camouflage uniforms. The Russian government's own human rights ombudsman, Alyek Mironov, has forecast what will happen if Mr Putin's latest plan is implemented – one of the worst human rights disasters in recent Russian history. But it's not yet clear whether there will be any significant opposition to the operation, either in Russia or internationally. The situation for the refugees is dire, as this Caucasus MSF staff member explains. Their words have been voiced up. The people who returned to Chechnya were saying that in Grozny there wasn't any water or electricity. You had to buy them, while in Ingushetia they were free because the NGOs guaranteed the supply. There were no schools nearby, nor doctors, nor free medical checkups in Chechnya. The people who returned to Ingushetia said that there was nothing there, that they were made to return just to show others that people were returning and that the situation was stabilising. It was all just about image. 
The federal administration paid for trucks to move people. At the start, they were giving out compensation to those who agreed to move back, and conditions were better. After that, things got worse, and they stopped giving anything to the people who moved. MSF said if we take part in this operation, it means that we support the return. Therefore, we can't get involved in the politics. We just stand by, neutral, and wait. We can't tell people not to go back because things are bad. People have the choice, and so we wait. If people prefer to move, they will move, and it's government policy. On the 4th of July, the North Caucasus programme managers in the different sections establish a joint reaction strategy to the 20-step plan for the repatriation of the displaced Chechens. Their aim is for a more joined-up approach with lobbying being more responsibility-driven than results-oriented. They send a letter with their concerns and recommendations to the United Nations, OSCE member states and the signatories of the repatriation agreement, together with Vladimir Putin. It also goes to all Western foreign affairs ministers, including the French minister who's due to meet his Russian counterpart at a summit the next day. The letter reads, As the OSCE has been mandated by the international community to monitor the situation in Chechnya and has good access to all parts of the territory, Médecins Sans Frontières is concerned by OSCE's lack of transparency. It is crucial that the information at the disposal of the OSCE is published to demonstrate that the conditions in Chechnya are not yet adequate for the displaced to return and to prevent the ongoing abuses against the Chechen people from being masked in secrecy. By now, the gulf between the escalating violence witnessed by observers on the ground in Chechnya and what the Russian authorities call a normalisation of the situation is huge and more and more threats to kidnap foreign nationals in the North Caucasus are circulating. On the 10th of July, the FSB tells the Office of the United Nations Security Coordinator in the Russian Federation that international staff visits to Chechnya are suspended because the threat is so grave. Two weeks later, Nina Davidovich, an employee working with UNICEF, is kidnapped in Chechnya. The United Nations and most other aid organisations, including MSF, condemn the kidnapping and immediately suspend their operations in Chechnya. By August, MSF's international staff aren't going into Chechnya at all, but MSF Switzerland keeps a skeleton team in the Dagestan capital, Mahachkala. For security reasons, there are two heads of mission in the field who take over from each other every three months. The words of MSF Switzerland's Director of Operations have been voiced up. The two heads of mission had diametrically opposed views on the situation in Chechnya of the need to go in. One was saying we needed to go in, to be on site, that there were needs, and the other was saying that for security reasons we shouldn't go in, and the Chechens were all mafia, that we needed to remain cautious, that they were fine as they were with their little programme and we shouldn't press things. It wasn't easy working like that. The programme was just starting when the tour for the two heads of mission came to an end. There was too much tension. We were desperately trying to find another coordinator, and we came across Ian Erkel, who already knew something of Dagestan. The Dagestan administration told us to be careful, that something was being hatched against a foreigner and that we were particularly at risk. So we withdrew all the international start from Hasaviyurt on the Chechen border. We evacuated most of the team to Moscow, but we kept a small team in Mahachkala to get information to stay up to speed with what was happening. 
I had asked that everyone leave and we shouldn't take any risks. But in the end, after talking it through, the programme manager convinced me to leave a couple of people on site. The coordinator, a logistician and a nurse I think, stayed with some of the local staff that we trusted. On the 7th of August, the new coordinator for the Swiss section, a Dutch man named Arjon Erkel, emails the MSF Switzerland programme manager with an update on the situation in Dagestan. ICRC called to ask us what is going on here, and also to inform us that they have information from the local staff that they expect problems, or that problems are already going on in Novalak region. This is information from a newspaper, but we cannot get it confirmed, and also did not see it in the newspaper. MSF Holland thinks it will not be quiet until a big fish is kidnapped. They also think, after consulting info sources, that because no one was travelling to Chechnya anymore, that Khasaf Yurt was easier for bandits to access than Nazran, and that might be a reason that MSF Swiss or expats in Khasaf Yurt became a target. The next day, an ICRC team is kidnapped in Georgia, near to the Chechen border. MSF France immediately suspends its activities there. Gabriel Trujillo is MSF France's coordinator for the North Caucasus. Well, at the time, all the warning lights were flashing. Uh, we were waiting for something bad to happen. Uh, there had been already Nina Davidovich who was kidnapped, and we could feel the pressure. Um, I was living in Moscow in the same building as colleagues of uh, Nina Davidovich, and they had received a number of visits. They had their flats and their uh, cars searched. And there were rumors started circulating in the marketplaces in the Caucasus about the prices on the heads of international staff. The authorities were not allowing us to visit Chechnya and we could feel the pressure in the behavior of the people that we were working with. On the 12th of August 2002, the threats to MSF Switzerland become a reality and their coordinator, Arjon Erkel, is kidnapped in Dagestan. Next time, with kidnapping now touching the MSF team, the organisation is once again faced with the dilemma of how and when to speak out about the situation in the North Caucasus. MSF opts to keep quiet at first, but as the weeks turn into months and Arjon Erkel is still not released, MSF starts to consider a change of tack. People began imagining that Arjon uh, might have been dead. At first we were quite frightened of saying anything at all, but that faded after a while. The realisation came when everyone agreed there was no other option than to speak out. But tensions are running high, especially between MSF, the Dutch authorities and the family of the hostage, and some feel the structures within the organisation are not helping the situation. This MSF Speaking Out podcast is based on an original MSF case study called War Crimes and Politics of Terror in Chechnya, 1994-2004. It's written by Lawrence Binet and is part of the Speaking Out case study series, a project by MSF International. This podcast series is written, produced and mixed by Andrea Rangecroft. Interviews are recorded by Lucy Dearlove. Editorial direction is from Nancy Barrett, Laurence Binet, and Rebecca Golden Timsar. The narrator is Nick Owen. Extracts are read by Didi Bellos and Matthew Wade. The voiceovers are by Christopher Bockman, Lucy Dearlove, Kevin Halliwell, Clive Hayward, Alex Vincent, and Richard Westgate. 
The music is by Lost Harmonies and Peter Sandberg. A special thanks to Anne Fouchard and Gabrielle Trujillo. To read the full case study and discover others, please go to our website, msf.org slash speaking out. Thanks for listening.